Hello, and welcome to the August 2018 Restoration Care Podcast. This month's Editor's Choice is a secondary analysis of a delayed cord clamping protocol, evaluating the relationship of pH and PaCO2 to adverse outcomes. Brown and colleagues evaluate the degree of permissive hypercapnia in 147 neonates. They found no adverse events linked to hypercapnia. However, hypercapnia was associated with death and severe interventricular hemorrhage. The authors conclude that moderate hypercapnia increases the risk of neurologic injury while providing no pulmonary benefit. In an accompanying editorial, Wells questions the idea that permissive hypercapnia is a safe and effective means of minimizing bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Wells suggests that efforts to achieve a normal physiologic state, normocarbia, remains an essential aspect of care for preterm newborns, and that despite popularity, permissive hypercapnia should be avoided. Pulmonary contusion is widely accepted as the most common etiology of hypoxemia following thoracic trauma, having far greater effect than mechanical disruption of the chest wall. Trauma surgeons from the University of Missouri evaluated the impact of pulmonary contusion on the duration of ventilation, incidence of pneumonia, and mortality. Comparing subjects with similar severity of injury, they found no impact of pulmonary contusion. Robinson comments that changes in trauma care, including damage control surgery, fluid restriction, and lung protective ventilation appear to mitigate the contribution of lung contusion to negative outcomes. This finding suggests that during previous years, high total volumes and aggressive fluid resuscitation with crystalloids exacerbated lung injury and that morbidity from pulmonary contusion may have been iatrogenic in origin. Cesaro et al. evaluated the impact of mechanical insufflation exufflation on breathing pattern in stable subjects with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. They evaluated 20 subjects with DMD using optoelectronic plethysmography following five cycles of insufflation exufflation. In these stable subjects without active infection, they reported a reduction in breathing frequency and rapid shallow breathing index. This may simply be explained by hyperventilation that's associated with insufflation exufflation. However, the authors did report changes in chest wall properties. Benden opines that while these are short-term changes, the care of patients with muscular dystrophy requires an approach that improves cough function as well as the maintenance of mechanical properties of the lung and chest wall. He notes that further work to separate the impact of insufflation exufflation on the lung and chest wall mechanics using esophageal manometry could provide answers to the questions raised in this trial. The use of positive expiratory pressure to alleviate air trapping and improve exercise tolerance and COPD has been demonstrated in previous studies. FIMSAC and colleagues described the design of a conical PEP device, which can be placed directly on a face mask for this purpose. They tested a conical PEP device one centimeter in length with an orifice size of six or seven millimeters in a group of normal volunteers. This design re resulted in effective PEP during exercise in these subjects with no adverse effects. The utility of this device in COPD patients remains to be elucidated. Velozny et al. described the utility of measuring inspiratory capacity in subjects with cystic fibrosis. In a group of nearly 100 CF subjects, they compared the percent predicted inspiratory capacity to FEV1, lung volumes, and hospitalizations. They found that inspiratory capacity fell along with FEV1 and that a fall in the percent of predicted of inspiratory cap capacity below 40% was associated with increased hospitalizations and hospital days. The authors suggest that inspiratory capacity may reveal silent worsening of lung function, which may explain dyspnea leading to an increase in hospitalization days per year. 
Zhang and co-workers report on the relationship of mixed venous oxygen saturation to regional cerebral oxygenation in 65 subjects during coronary artery bypass grafting. SVO2 is, of course, obtained from a pulmonary artery catheter, while RSCO2 reflects oxygen saturation in a small region of the frontal lobes monitored by near-infrared spectroscopy. They compared values at five time points across the continuum of care. There was a positive correlation between the two measurements during off-pump coronary artery bypass grafting and a positive correlation in the variation trend over time. Whether this value can replace SVO2 cannot be determined from this investigation. The six-minute walk distance is often used to evaluate aerobic capacity and endurance in patients with cardiorespiratory disease. Holland et al. evaluate the six-minute walk distance, nadir oxygen saturation, and heart rate in 70 adults with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. They evaluated parameters following an intervention period and then six months later. They report that using the longest six-minute walk distance significantly reduced the proportion of subjects classified as having a clinically significant response to rehab compared to using the first six-minute walk distance. They conclude that six-minute walk distance is a re reproducible measure of exercise capacity in subjects with pulmonary fibrosis, but that evaluating change in six-minute walk distance following an intervention may require two tests. Morita and others evaluated heart rate recovery following a six-minute walk test in subjects with COPD. In 145 subjects, they demonstrated that delayed heart rate recovery at one minute was associated with shorter six-minute walk distance, a more sedentary lifestyle, and worse dyspnea scores. The authors suggest that the simplicity of measuring heart rate recovery may be advantageous in evaluating outcomes in COPD. Tracheostomy has become a more common procedure in ventilated patients being accomplished early to facilitate ventilator discontinuation. Obnat and co-workers performed a retrospective analysis of morbidity and mortality of tracheostomy in a group of primarily elderly subjects. They demonstrated that surgical tracheostomy was not associated with an increased 30-day mortality or morbidity rate. Comorbid conditions in the subject's age had a greater impact on 30-day mortality rate than the timing of tracheostomy. Plotnikow et al. evaluated the impact of oxygen delivered by high-flow nasal cannula in 16 normal subjects. They used electrical impedance tomography to evaluate changes in lung volumes at different flows in the supine and semi-sitting position. They report that semi-sitting position and the use of high-flow nasal cannula increased end-expiratory lung volumes globally. These changes were not accompanied by a significant decrease in the breathing frequency. Changes in breathing frequency are likely due to washout of dead space and are not associated with changes in lung volumes. Mask fit is important to the success of NIV by minimizing leak, enhancing comfort, and preventing skin breakdown. Shikama et al. described the use of a 3D personalized mask fitting on these factors in normal subjects. Compared to an off-the-shelf mask, the 3D personalized fitting device resulted in reduced presence of blanchable erythema, standardized redness intensity, and discomfort level, as well as contact pressure. These findings were particularly evident on the forehead, bridge of the nose, and cheeks. Leaks were also reduced. The author suggests that these 3D solutions may aid in reducing NIV mask-related pressure injury and discomfort. Vargas and colleagues described the performance of a CPAP device in a bench study. They evaluate eight devices in a lung model connected via a standard orofacial mask. They simulated eucapnic breathing and tachypnea at different oxygen flow inputs. The major outcome measurements were maintenance of airway pressure and total flow. They demonstrated significant variations in device performance. Greater flow output was associated with maintenance of CPAP. The importance of these findings in patients remains to be determined. 
Morita and others evaluated the Opsman sit-to-stand test in subjects with COPD. The primary difference in protocols is the duration and number of repetitions. In 23 COPD subjects, they found that the one-minute sit-to-stand resulted in a higher hemodynamic demand and correlated better with clinical outcomes. They noted that despite the greater hemodynamic demands of the one-minute test, that there was a good level of agreement among the three protocols. All three tests were able to discriminate subjects with low and preserved exercise capacity. Resistance training has become a popular method of exercise in COPD subjects. This can be accomplished with elastic resistance or traditional weight training. Van Deleri and co-workers compared the impact of different resistance training methods on cardiac autonomic modulation and post-exercise recovery in COPD. Heart rate variability was used to evaluate autonomic modulation. Post-exercise recovery time was similar for all resistance training methods. With the lack of differences, the author suggests that the use of elastic bands should be used because of lower costs and simplicity. An invited review this month comes from the University of California at San Francisco group, well known for their expertise in ARDS. Pi and others take a close look at the impact of inclusion criteria in studies of ARDS on the reported mortality rates. They note that ARDS has a much higher mortality rate in observational studies compared to randomized controlled trials. A host of potential factors may explain these differences, including disease heterogeneity, comorbidities, subject commitment to care, and adherence to lung protective protocols. Patient selection and enrollment timing may also impact mortality. This review highlights the impact of subject and trial-related factors influencing mortality rates in ARDS observational studies and randomized controlled trials. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There, you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.